them to We Turned Out Fine. This is Naomi, and I'm coming at you solo this weekend. Um, we had a beautiful Easter weekend together as a family last week. We meant to record. Uh, unfortunately, we were too busy being a family, loving each other, all of that good stuff. Um, so I'm going to come at you solo this week and um, talk about my year in therapy. But before I do that, uh, we big thanks to all of our listeners, all the people who have followed us on social media, especially Instagram, who have um, started to... Uh, engage in this conversation that Lydia and I have been working towards and have been passionate about for so long. And that goes really into what I'm going to talk about today, but that we really wanted to create a space to talk about mental health, talk about women's health, to talk about um, being sensitive people, to talk about uh, religion and growing up religious and how that all integrates together into a healthy, holistic life and um, we're just so grateful to have a have the time have a platform and have the energy to try and do this and try and reach out to as many people who want to be a part of this conversation Um, and so we're just really grateful and um, we're grateful to start seeing seeing some response out there all right so like I said It's just going to be me today, Um, and I'm going to talk about my past year in therapy um, that started probably in April of 2018, and I'm actually going to be wrapping up a little bit later next month. Um, So before I go into that, just a quick disclaimer, I'm not going to be talking about specific personal issues. At least I'm going to try not to veer too much into the content of that just to keep, you know, just for my own personal privacy, but also for the privacy of my family and my therapist, you know, and uh, just the work itself. But I do want to talk about the process and some of the things that it brought up for me, because it's, it is such an important thing. Um, And when you make that decision, when you realize, oh, this is it's time. It's time to go to therapy. Um, you know, it, it can be scary. It can bring up a lot of stigmas that still exist around therapy. And um, and also trying to figure out, okay, when are we done is another question. Um, so we're going to talk all of that today on the We Turned Out Fine podcast. So thank you guys so much for tuning in today. All right. Um, we're going to get started here. I've got my notes, I've got my coffee, I've got my cat, and really that is all I really want in life. So about a year ago, actually uh, beginning of 2018, um, my stress levels increased so much. Uh, due to some work changes that were happening, due to other things that happened in my lifestyle. Um, I turned 30 uh, back in summer 2017. And I, I have to say, like, I thought and I hoped that turning 30 would be this big kind of release, coming of age sort of feeling. Um, I had heard other women talk about that, like how when they turn 30, it's like they knew who they were and they felt this 
ease and comfort into this next phase of their life. And I was like, I want that. I was just like, can I just, can everything just come together for me when I turn 30? Like, can I get the right job? Can I meet the right guy? Can I make the amount of money I want to make? Can all the things just happen for me? And that's genuinely what it's like, okay, that's what I want. And, um, surprise, life had other plans um, my, my stress levels went up my, um, a lot of things in my life that I had been dealing with before, even before I moved to Austin magically had not changed. There were still things that I was having to address. And around the spring of 2018, I found myself running out of energy my little basket of coping mechanisms those tools and tricks you pick up I realize I'm like these are not these are running out on me all the things that I learned how to do in years of therapy past or have just learned of myself all of a sudden they weren't working um for me anymore or they weren't working as effectively as they should have been for the amount of stress that I was going through. On top of that, I was also dealing with these new physical symptoms. So another thing about entering, I guess, mid midlife is realizing how, um, how temporary our bodies are. And um, I have not had to deal with chronic pain throughout most of my life. I've been really pretty lucky that my physical pain and my physical symptoms haven't really I've you know haven't really kicked in until maybe more recently um, I lost a good deal of weight in my 20s which really helped my helped my health really uh, pushed me forward but all of a sudden I hit a wall um, you know, where I'd gained back a, a lot of the weight I lost, but I was also beyond just the number on the scale. I realized there were the other numbers, uh, weren't doing me any good. Um, I was dealing with inflammation. I was dealing with a lot of pain. I, um, my body was not able to recover in the ways that it once was able to, I ride my bike every single day, as you guys know. I'm a commuter cyclist, and I um, that that does while it helps in so many ways. It also creates new things for your body to have to um, compensate with. Um, and so I have been dealing with hip pain, lower back pain. I started seeing massage therapists, acupuncturists, you name it, chiropractor, all the things um, are who I see. And then it, then it, there, a, a point came where the emotional connection to my physical pain and it, both the, both the physical and the emotional cross paths, crossed paths and really impacted me. And I knew I had already known, but I knew it's like, I need to do something to manage this because I I was not managing well. Um, stress with stress comes, you know, poor habits 
Um, you know, oftentimes the cheapest medication that we go towards is the food that we eat. Um, I also realized, you know, as much as I, I like a glass of wine now and then, you know, I wasn't taking care to really manage. Not that it ever got out of hand, but I really wasn't taking care to manage or really truthfully to see um, how I was self-medicating. So a lot of these things collided at this really crucial point. All the things had sort of come together to create this almost like massive black hole where I could not ignore it. It was like, I um, knew that I was like, I think it's time to go back to therapy. And uh, so in the early spring of 2018, I started reaching out to some trusted people in my life um, to find out some resources. And this is really what's going to go, really want to go through. It's like, you know, trust what you're going through. Trust your own instincts. If you feel like, hey, I think I need to stop and take stock or, or things are getting out of hand and I don't know how to handle that, that could be a sign um, that you are ready um, to start therapy. And then the next step really would be to figure out who you want to see and where you want to be seen. Finding a therapist can really be intimidating sometimes, um, if, especially if you've never been to see one before and, and you don't know what resources are out there. A good place to start is could be your health insurance, see what benefits you have. But um, really, I went to people that I trusted to people that had spoken truth into my life and who I knew were connected with these resources. And so I started asking questions. Um, and then I went to, I went on the internet and, you know, did some Google searches to find out um, what was close, what was affordable. What, what you really need to do is prioritize what is most important to you. If you're going to go see a therapist, is it important to you that it's uh, low cost, that there's a sliding scale option? Or is it important to you that this therapist be um, con associated or connected with the church or a certain religion? For a lot of people, that's very important. And the idea of entering therapy without that in place can be very, very scary. Um, or if it's location, or if it's seeing a certain person who's been recommended, um, all of these things can um, be challenges, but it can also really, once you know what is the most important thing to you, then you can really narrow down and decide, okay, this is where I'm going to look. These are the places I've narrowed down. Um, and it just takes a little bit of time, but, e and even then you may meet your therapist and not, um, not find that fit and it may take a couple and that has happened, um, with me personally, I, I've been to therapists and I've stick with, stuck with them because <laughs> I have a tendency to stick with things. Um, I, I, I've been to therapists and I realize after the fact, it's like, oh, we, we really didn't have a mutual understanding or trust that was um, on the same level. And same with some friends of mine who have had really bad experiences, like with the first person. And so it took, took a couple of times with different people to find the right fit. All that to say, don't get discouraged. Don't quit just because one thing can... It, 
the first time may not be that great. If you're not having the right connection with a therapist, move on. Find another one who does work for you. Uh, again, putting out those needs, what's most important, what are the goals you need to address, which we're going to get to in just a second, in order to find, you know, the fit that's right for you, because obviously it's not doing your therapist any good either. Um, If they can't help you, then they're not doing their job and you're not getting the care that you need. Um, For me, I wanted affordability Um, You know, I needed to make sure that I was going to be able to pay for this since I knew that I would have to. I wanted something, you know, fairly close. I have to travel, you know, a lot. I, you know, ride my bike everywhere in Austin. So it was really nice that I was able to find a therapist who's actually in my neighborhood that is like a 10 minute bike ride away from where I live. That makes my life so much easier to know that I don't have to hike all the way out somewhere. It doesn't have to be a chore to go. And so that's a huge relief for me personally. And when it comes to the religious component of therapy, that is very important for some people. And in the past, that has been a very important requirement for me. I, I only sought out Christian therapists or therapists who were associated with the church in some way. And I felt, okay, that's really where I need to stay, you know, in order um, to get the to get the advice that I needed. But I'll be honest, this time around, that was not the most important thing for me. And and I also realize that it's like, if I want to find somebody who is going to be affordable and close, that's probably not going to be, I'm going to give myself more options if I leave that out. And it was just not the most important thing on my plate um, to have somebody who was of the same faith background. It's like, um, you know, I know that I'm going to therapy for these reasons, for specific things. And so I felt very comfortable kind of letting that go to the side. And I will say I talk about my faith with my therapist. I tell her my background, my understanding. I've, you know, kind of shown her the lens. And we've had some wonderful discussions um, despite that, you know, without her necessarily being associated with, um, with my tradition. And it's been a wonderful, wonderful experience. So though all that to say is know what is most important to you. And the next thing I would say is to address your goals. You know, a lot of times this is um, posed as what are your, your goals in therapy? And um, what are the things you're really here for? And I kind of hate the idea of goals because it's like, you don't always, you can't always measure your work that you do. It's not always quite so cut and dry, but it can just be what are, what is the focus of what is going on? Sometimes it takes a little while to figure out what that is. Sometimes it takes a few sessions in order for that to really come up to the surface and really be apparent Maybe you just know something is wrong, something isn't right, um, and maybe you need to go through that. I knew 
it was pretty transparent to me how this all broke down. And while I'm not going to go into the specifics, I will say for the, for me, this was my career, my family dynamic, and then my personal relationships were really the three. And, and those are huge areas of focus. You can go, you can dig deep and break those down even further because those are really huge things in your life, your your job, the thing you do every day, your family, the people who are closest to you and your personal relationships, the people who you choose to be around and with and pursue relationships with. Those are huge components of what constitute our, our makeup as people, as human beings and who we interact with and um, how those how those play out in our lives are, are huge and impactful. So there was really a lot to work with. Um, like I said, I knew that I was not doing well. I knew that I was not dealing with stress well. I knew that like, you know, when you're coming home mad and coming home crying and you're waking up in the morning and you're like, really don't want to, um, get out of bed to face the day it's like okay that's a cue that's a cue that we need to address something that's going on next i'd say really the big part of it is simply doing the work of the therapy and understanding what your tools are who you are what your lens and worldview is and for me, I came right into my sessions with my therapist. I was very upfront about my faith. I was very upfront about my past history with therapy, uh, my family dynamic, and all these things that shaped my lens. The Enneagram actually came up the very first session. I brought it up because it was... And, and she was really grateful for that because she got to learn a little bit about what that was. But also she got to see how my worldview and my spiritual worldview was shaped. And I described for her what it was like, the characteristics of being a four type and what that really did to kind of shape who I was. Um, sometimes it really is just getting a little bit of affirmation from a neutral third party you get to talk about your life and the components of it and people start to see things that you don't normally see or you wouldn't um, recognize outright because they're just so normal but it's good to recognize that what that people who aren't necessarily invested or people who aren't just aren't us um, see parts of our lives that we just can't from our own personal perspectives. That was really, really encouraging to me for to, to see somebody say, hey, you've figured out how to, you know, live life, be an adult, ride your bike through this city. You're doing a lot better than you really think you are. But yes, let's address what's going on. What's going on in these layers of, of emotion um, I'm a pretty upfront person most of the time, and I really don't have a whole lot of problems sort of starting to take away those layers of myself and, you know, go through some of the history that, um, that I've experienced. I'm really not very shy about it, but 
it does take a little bit of work to really get to the core things. One of the things that came up very early in our sessions was addressing the issue of shame. And shame is such a powerful um, emotion, such a powerful response. And I feel like now <laughs> we're talking about it more in, in a more open way than we ever have before, um, because this is something I, I knew that I had been doing for a long time. I self-described it as a shame spiral, this um, this ability to work myself up into a frenzy. If I go back and I think about memories or think about emotions, think about mistakes I've made, um, or think about why can't I move forward in this area in my life? And I would all of a sudden, it, it would, it shocked me when I realized how quickly I could go into myself, fold into myself and launch myself into a shame spiral. And I, even in my everyday life, I would, if I felt maybe some emotions coming up um, or, you know, because I, I, I can sit and I will think about things that happened years ago and feel them as if they were happening right here and right now. The emotion will come up very, very close to the surface for me. And sometimes even in the middle of the workday, I'm doing my job and I start to think about a thing that happened and I would even have to stop myself and go like, can I do this right now? Can, do I have the emotional energy to really think, do I really want to think about this particular thing, this particular emotion right now and delve into it? And sometimes it's like, yes, I can. And other times it's like, okay, no, let's just pick this up. I literally imagine physically picking up an object and like putting it on a shelf and saying, this feeling is real but we're not going to get to it right this minute. I'm going to wait till I have a little bit more resilience to really delve and to feel all the feelings that I know this is going to bring up for me. So I was already pretty aware of how I dealt with shame. And so that came up pretty early on in, in my sessions. And and I'm shocked to, and, and, but also not to say how deeply interwoven that is to all of those areas. Shame for, you know, not being as successful as I thought I should be. Shame for not having the relationship that I have wanted to be in for years. Or shame for not, um, you know, not navigating certain life choices better than, um, than I did. And how much those things really truly weighed on me. And from there, we were really able to go into some of this, um, go into some of the heavier stuff, um, addressing some of the dynamics and be honest about um, some of the things that, um, that were shaped around me. Sometimes it was recognizing um, how I, you know, learned love, how I learned shame, how I uh, learned these values that shape my worldview. 
it even came up and uh, it, the idea of forgiveness even came up a few times and, and we were reluctant. She was even reluctant to to name it in, with that term, but she knew for me that it was um, that it was the right word to say um, in certain times as I went through and and thought about people and interactions in my life um, that had taken place. Um, and was able, even able to address certain relationships that hadn't gone the way that I wanted to, but that there was still emotion, deeply connected emotion to those relationships. And even with me, and with me addressing that, knowing like I know that there's even more behind that, like that is just a scar on top of a scar on top of a scar. And so sometimes it really is this work of, of I'm going to say, spiritual exfoliation, just getting to the better stuff that's underneath, scrubbing away what we've kind of let build up and letting the healthy new parts of us that are forming kind of come through. Um, doesn't change because we still bear some of those scars. We still hold on to some of that, um, whether we know it or not. And I, and I learned through the wonderful thing is that I I have these amazing relationships in my life, not, you know, not just with therapy, but I have amazing relationships. You guys are privileged to kind of get to see the dynamic that Lydia and I have. Um, we've, you know, been talking about this stuff for years. And so I have this wonderful relationship with my sister who is deeply connected to her own body and her own spiritual experience. And I've learned so much just from allowing myself to kind of understand her worldview and what she's learning. At the same time, I have really long, long, decades-long friendships that I can fall back on. Um, And it's wonderful when you know that people have been in your life so long that they're kind of grandfathered in to the the picture, that they're not really going to go anywhere, that even if you change, you kind of know essentially at the core, this is who that person is. And so apart from therapy, been able to kind of fall back on these relationships with people who have known me either my entire life or at least have known me in the last decade that um, can really inform a greater perspective on some of the principles that I'm learning. And, and sometimes this, this means, this work means doing some scary stuff. Um, sometimes it means addressing feelings that are very unpleasant and sometimes um and what while my therapist has never you know forced me uh, or, or asked me to do anything that's uncomfortable um i i myself have kind of prompted prompted my own self to reach a little further in to what is uncomfortable um and ask some questions but also to reach out to people to see what's left of those relationships um, and what's really there. Some of the, and one of the things that I really enjoy 
or really have found some affirmation in is just the process that you already kind of do for yourself. And, you know, I've been journaling since I was, I'm going to say 13 years old when I read the diary of Anne Frank, I started journaling. I never leave my house without a pen because and my journal, which is really just sort of a scratch bullety type journal so that if I need to stop and write down my thoughts, um, then I don't have to just use a post-it or whatever, but that I can come back to it. And and it's a, it's a way to kind of make what you're feeling tangible and to give it a little bit of life and actually give it presence in the physical realm and the physical level. So for me, journaling has been um, really, really helpful as a tool. And then I would say there's this other, I would call it the poo-poo platter of coping techniques that you just sort of associate yourself with. Um, For that, for me, it's things like going outside and sitting maybe for five minutes, just sitting in the sun or taking a moment to breathe. Um, Sometimes it can be meditation. Sometimes it can be simply doing like a body scan, putting your hand on your heart, on your gut, just to sort of scan your physical body. Um, Sometimes it it is turning off all the lights. It's turning down the air conditioner and just sort of like laying in total silence and total darkness, trying to sort of uh, disassociate, um, maybe just to give your body a chance to calm down. Um, one thing that came up, I'll bring this up specifically, uh, since it's not really related to any other person except myself, is this is the deep breathing. It's the sighing thing. So, all right, this is something that Lydia has been picking at me for years. She would always say, why are you sighing so much? Why are you like <gasps> taking these deep, you know, sighs? And I, I would do it without even realizing it, um, which is frustrating. It's almost as frustrating as like if people tell you that you, you snore, I'm just like, well, number one, I'm not aware of it. Number two, what can I actually do about it? Um, with sighing, I didn't even realize it, um, that it was something that I was doing. And um, so Lydia pointed it out to me years and years ago. And then it came up where the people around me were like, yeah, no, actually, you do that a lot. And so naturally, I brought it up in therapy and talked about it. I was like, so apparently I do this. Apparently I'm giving off the impression that I'm just really annoyed all the time. And I learned a great deal that, you know, when we, when our bodies, you know, are under stress or under that fight or flight response, that our nervous system needs to kind of, needs to have a way to reset and rebalance. And one of the ways that we do that is by taking deep audible breath sighing it's it's like <sighs> giving your nervous system just a signal to like calm down calm down um and it's hard when it when you're with people all the time and they're inferring you know all the things what does that sign mean what does that sign mean are you upset are you angry are you annoyed do you not want to be here sometimes those feelings are very very real 
But I knew for me, it's like, this is my body's response to being under stress, to kind of shaving, uh, you know, kind of fighting off that fight or flight instinct. It's my, it's my body's way of saying, it's okay, you're fine. Just take a minute, reset just to be in the place where you are. So that's a, that's a great example of, you know, why we have breathing techniques, why therapists will, you know, or it's not even therapists. I feel like this is really more commonplace now, just the practice of taking deep breaths, counting, giving yourself, you know, inhale for this many counts, exhale. It's giving, it's literally forcing your body, forcing your nervous system, your mind to just like pause and now re-enter, keep going, give yourself that time. And if we're not doing that, then that's where we're coming to me going like, <sighs> sighing, 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 because of course things are going on underneath the surface and I'm trying, my body is trying to like, just calm down, just let some of that go so it's not in me. It's not impairing every decision and every thought that I have um, throughout my day. So I'm going to leave that there for you guys. Um, needless to say, I think one of the great things is that with therapy, it really is just about what works for you. What are those techniques that you already go to? Um, if it's physical activity, running, um, if it's um, something like journaling or meditation or a body scan or, you know, um, yoga, uh, there's, that's the wonderful thing is that we can really create and cultivate this toolbox of techniques to work with depending on what we're going through and just sort of assessing what is what do I need right now what can I reach for what can I do for myself in this moment and what do I need help with when do I need to get somebody else involved either somebody who loves me and knows me and is deeply invested in me or if it's somebody neutral who I'm not going to see every day in my life and can give me sort of an honest outside perspective on this. Okay, we're going to go move on to the last part. And that really is deciding when to end therapy. And there is no right answer. Um, for me, this, I, I made, I looked at my budget and I looked at, um, you know, whether this was sustainable and I, I kind of had to be like, okay, you know, this is um, kind of where the, the rubber meets the road and I've been able to give myself, as a friend of mine put it, give myself the gift of therapy um, so that I can work through certain things. But, um, I also kind of knew, like, I, I also need to kind of have an end date in mind because at the end of this, I, I have to 
keep going with my life and start addressing certain things and actually take some of this and put it into action. Um, so as, and there were times when I was like, I don't, I didn't want to do that. Uh, where I would rather sit and talk about it or sit and feel the feelings rather than actually do something um, constructive towards a different end where because because it was frankly easier for me to sit and talk about my feelings and then actually do something about them. Um, and there have been times when I was like, I don't want this to end. We've we've had some really great sessions in the last month, and I've come out with some big revelations about my relationships and myself that I was like, we have we have to stop this, we have to end this, and you know, kind of like, yeah. All that to say is that you it's going to be different for every single person. It's going to depend on what you're addressing, the severity, and and also just, you know, for me practically, what you can afford to keep doing. Um, I needed an end date, but that may not be the case for every single person. Some people may need to have therapy just as a, just sort of, to deal with a crisis or to deal with one particular issue. This is often the case if you're, if you go through like a death, a close death, um, or if you're maybe just have moved from another area and you really need to kind of work through what you're feeling. So those, those are examples of just really specific things that you may do short-term therapy on, but a lot of us need it for the long haul. A lot of us need that check-in, need to know like, okay, if I need to address some things that have happened in, in the past, um, you know, that I, I have this space uh, every two weeks where I'm going to be able to do that. This is where journaling comes in handy because if I know that it's going to be a week or so before I'm going to see my therapist again, I can stop write down what I'm feeling. I even write down notes like, okay, I want to talk to her about this, this, and this. And then I, you know, mark it, come back to it, and we can sort of revisit um, when those feelings came up in the last two weeks. Because you do have a little bit more work to do if you spread that out rather than if you're seeing a therapist on a weekly basis. Um, but it's going to be different. Um, and I would go back to uh, the point one of my first points, and that is finding out what is the most important thing for you. And just be honest and just be realistic. And, you know, um, I've been very lucky in my therapy experience in this last um, time to find somebody who really fits my needs really well um, and who's been able to work with me on all of the areas that um, that have needed to be addressed. And I'm really, really thankful. So in a couple of weeks, I'm going to have my last session, we're going to wrap up therapy for the year, I'm still going to have a really, you know, still have some availability to check in when I need to. And to um, and, and, and also I have people in my life, trusted people who I can check in with, and know that they're gonna um, 
they're going to be, you know, part of that support system that I need. But this is going to be the longest stretch, um, at least, yeah, longest consistent stretch that I've ever been in therapy. And so I'm really grateful for that experience or for what it's taught me. And I would simply encourage all of you to be realistic, um, you know, about your goals, be realistic about what is going on, recognize when, um, when things are building up to a point, recognizing the times that you may need to check in, um, and just associating yourself with some of the resources. It may take work. If you're in a relatively good spot, um, but have had to sort of, you know, sort of duck in and duck out of therapy, it may be a good idea to, uh, while you're in a good headspace emotionally, do some of that work ahead of time. Um, find out which organizations maybe have a sliding scale option or maybe know who you kind of want to get set up to see in the case, in the event that you need to find a therapist so that when the time comes, you're not scrambling, desperate um, in order to do that. If you if you can, that's something I would recommend. Talk to the people that you trust um, and don't be afraid of mental health. Don't be afraid of what it means when you have to go to therapy. It doesn't mean you're crazy. It doesn't mean you're broken. It doesn't mean that you are unable to work through this on your own. By addressing it, you're actually doing the opposite. You're actually taking ownership of what's going on by way of seeking help. You're actually creating the space so that you can solve this problem and admitting that, oh, I just don't have the help that I need right now. Because the fact of the matter is, is we can't do life on our own 100% of the time. We shouldn't. We shouldn't do life on our own 100% of the time. We need we need a tribe, we need resources. And sometimes the resources we need, need to be total strangers. So thank you guys for tuning in to my solo year of therapy. Um, if you want to talk more about therapy, please feel free to interact with us on our socials. Those are going to be linked below as per usual. Um, Please uh, follow us. We're on Instagram. We are on Facebook, Twitter, all the socials as they are. I would love to hear about your therapy experiences. Have they been positive? Have they been negative? What sort of advice would you give to other people? And if, and if this was helpful for you, we'd love to hear about that. And thank you guys so much for tuning in. I am Naomi, and we turned out fine. 